Could we give God praise this evening all across this house in the name of the Lord? Come on, put your hands together, lift up your voice and magnify God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I feel his presence in this house. The Holy Ghost is in this place. Faith is high. Faith is strong in this house. And we give God all the praise and the glory. What a joy to be in the presence of God here tonight. What an absolute delight it is. And I'm so very humbled by the words spoken by your pastor, your bishop, Bishop Nichols. A man that I truly honor and love and appreciate. And um, I've so enjoyed this last year of getting to know him better. Always had a tremendous admiration for his ministry. And, um, but over the last year, the Lord has placed him as a prophetic voice in my life. And I have been so blessed. And uh, the Tree of Life Church has been blessed by his ministry. And he hasn't even been there yet. <laughs> but he's coming. And, and yet, they have been blessed because of how he has poured into me. And I thank God for that. I thank God for his ministry that so, uh, so goes into this city and beyond, into this region and beyond. And uh, Greater Faith Church, what God has in store for you. What God has in store for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel that if the Lord were speaking to you as one of the seven churches of Asia, he would commend you for the great faith that you have in him. He would commend you for your faithfulness in times of distress. Do you know what joy it was in the middle of, in the middle of a time, a season, a strange season of our world where so many churches were scared to gather and to walk into greater faith? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about. Because a lot of folks were just shutting everything down and shuttering everything and saying we can't gather right now. But greater faith was obeying the word of the Lord. To forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hallelujah. Keep being greater faith. Keep following the vision and the leadership of Bishop Nichols. Hallelujah. God has given a vision to your pastor to take this great church into dimensions that you and I can't even understand right now. But it shall come to pass. The vision is for an appointed time. Hallelujah. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. It is a great joy to my wife and I and Sophia to be here. Brother Ethan Elms, we're so thankful uh, that he is here. And 
We're just honored to be here. We love this family. The Nichols family is such a magnificent family, and we love and honor them. God bless them. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading this evening from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21, and I want to read just a few verses of Scripture in your hearing. You know, there are times when you are seeking God and seeking the direction of the Holy Ghost uh, in and how you should deliver the word of God. And, and you just, it feels so good when the Lord just makes it plain to you. Amen. And I do want to preach to you from the word of the Lord tonight. Something the Lord has laid upon my heart. I do believe it's a, a, a word for this hour. Second Samuel chapter 21 beginning with verse 15. The word of the Lord says this. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbibinab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. That thou quench not the light of Israel. And by the help of the Lord tonight, I, I want to preach to you a message that is near to my spirit, near to my heart. I just want to preach to you on this subject, the light of Israel, the light of Israel. We lift up our voices all across this house and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. His word is already blessed. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of his word. Lord, I thank you for the word of life. I thank you that it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We trust in you. We depend on you. We ask your blessing in the name of Jesus upon the preaching of your word. I pray for an anointing to rest upon the preaching of your word and upon the preacher of your word. Lord, upon your congregation, let us hear the word of the Lord and receive it in Jesus' name. Help us, O oh God, I pray, to grasp it, to embrace it, to believe it, to obey it in the precious name of Jesus Christ. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ. Ah, hallelujah. Every knee must bow and every tongue shall confess. In the name of Jesus Christ. Every devil shall flee. In the name of Jesus Christ. Every high thing will be brought low. In the name of Jesus Christ. Ah, yasha. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. David is one of those unique characters in the word of the Lord that we had the rare opportunity to uh, look upon and witness 
his life from a, a very young age. In the, in the Bible, there are a variety of figures that emerge in the scriptures. And they emerge for a season, and we, and we see them for a season. Uh, but we, we, we don't altogether know the beginning of the story of their life, nor do we know the ending of the story of their life. But, uh, but they have a particular role to play, a particular work to accomplish. And that is their lot in the scriptures. But, but David is, is a little different than that. We meet him as a very young man. And we actually watch his life story unfold until the very end of his life when he passes away. And so we get to observe the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. And, and we see the destiny of God pronounced over him, and we see the destiny of God unfold before him. And that's a very wonderful thing to see, because he was so very special in the word of the Lord. So many wonderful things were said of this man, David. Let's understand that he occupied the role of a prophet. And not only did he occupy the role of a prophet, but he was anointed to be the king of Israel. And he was the king of Israel that truly set the tone for the nation of Israel and, and really put them, I'll say put them on the map, if you want to say it that way, but truly set them, set them on the right path, the right trajectory, really established them as a, as a nation. And with a king. And, and this was his role. And, and so many things that he did before his kingship. He was well known in the scriptures before he was king. And, and his life was one that was so interesting throughout the word of, of the Lord. And I think perhaps one of the most famous exchanges and interactions that David had. That we were made privy to by virtue of the telling of it happened when his father sent him to his brothers while they were on the field of battle. And he had with him food to bring to his brothers. His father Jesse, whose sheepfold David had tended, his father Jesse sent him to deliver this food. Now, for whatever reason, David was not on that battlefield. There are a variety of different uh, speculations as to why he was not, but he was not on that battlefield. But when he arrived, he saw something that disturbed him. Israel and Philistia were engaged in battle. This was not uncommon. The Philistines were a common enemy to Israel. It was a, a battle that waged before David and, and it happened after David and and it was, a, it was a common enemy of, of Israel. And so when he comes upon the scene that day, there they are again engaged in battle. And they had, they had struck a deal that they were going to resolve this conflict in a unique way. They said, we're going to send out champions. The Philistines will send out a champion and the Israelites will send out a champion. The problem was that the champion of the Philistines was somebody 
nobody wanted to mess with. He was a giant of a man. Though David would never refer to him as that, that's what he was. He was a giant. And he had weapons to match his size. And he was skilled with those weapons. He had trained since he was a child for expert, elite, hand-to-hand combat. And this was the champion. He was twice the size of, of any man Israel had to offer. And he had, he had extremities to his size that were, that were beyond what Israel could even comprehend. And that was the champion that the Philistines sent out. And not only was he strong and skilled and capable and competent and intimidating and foreboding, but he was loud and he was brash and he was intimidating and he was insulting and he dared anybody to do anything about it. And David is walking up with a, a, a baskets full of food for his brothers onto the battlefield and he sees this large figure out in the valley of Elah who is defying the armies of Israel. Defying the armies of Israel. The people of God. The people who had been brought out of bondage. The people who had seen the Lord do great wonders. The people who knew their God. This giant of a man is defying the armies of Israel and the Israelite armies are cowering from him because they really don't have anybody that can match his strength, that can match his skill. And the one man that probably could come closest of anybody Israel could think of was a man by the name of Saul who happened to be their king. And as was his custom when he was called upon, he would hide among the stuff. And on that day, he was hiding among the stuff, yet again, so to speak, he was tucked away in the presidential palace. And, and, and he's waiting, hoping somebody will fill this void where nobody was willing to take on Goliath. And David is watching this, and when he arrives at his brothers, he said, what's going on here? Why is nobody standing up to this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't call Goliath a giant. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. He recognized that you don't, you don't glorify the, all of the details of your enemy. You don't exalt all of the statistics relative to your adversary. But you judge your adversary by their spiritual condition. And the spiritual condition of Goliath was that he was outside the covenant of God. I'm in the covenant of Abraham. I have a circumcised heart. But my adversary is uncircumcised. He doesn't belong in the covenant of God. He's not blessed like I'm blessed. He doesn't have promises hanging on him like I have promises hanging on me. So no, I'm not going to talk about his height and I'm not going to talk about his weight and I'm not going to talk about what class he graduated from and I'm not going to talk about his certification and I'm not going to talk about his elite status. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's outside the covenant of blessing. Why has nobody 
challenged the uncircumcised Philistine. And his brothers were a little insulted that he would suggest that anybody was cowering. And one of them spoke up and said, we know the naughtiness of your heart. What are you even doing here? David responded famously by saying, is there not a cause? It was a, a rhetorical question. He was letting them know, hey, there is a cause. I wish somebody knew today there is a cause. That's why you're here. There is a cause. I'm tired of letting the giants of this day march around the battlefield of our lives unchecked. There is a cause. Hallelujah. And I know we belong to a sheep field, but we're not just in a sheep field. We're on a battlefield. Our anointing comes from the sheep field, but that anointing is preparing us for a battlefield. Yeah. Hallelujah. I want somebody to understand today that God's got some giants in public he wants you to fight. But if you want to fight the giants in public, you've got to fight the lions and the bears in private. And if you'll fight the lions and the bears in your private life, God will give you victory over the giants in public life. Ooh, hallelujah. David came with victory over personal battles. And he said, I can take this uncircumcised Philistine. They rushed word to King Saul and let him know there is a valiant man. A valiant man. And... and and, and, you know, that he had quite a pedigree at that time in his life. He was just a youth. Saul would later call him, but a youth. Goliath has, has been trained from a youth, and yet you are just a youth. So this was a young man walking into the throne room of King Saul. And as he's talking to Saul, Saul says, what makes you think that you can fight this, this giant Goliath? And David said, the same God. That delivered me out of the hand of the lion. Is the same God that delivered me out of the hand of the bear. You know we need to develop a relationship with the same God. It's so easy when you step into a new trial to forget about what God has already done. I want you to know that the same God that brought you out of that. Is the same God woo, who will give you victory again. Oh, somebody needs to stop for a moment and stop looking at your adversary and look back over your life and think things over and pause for a moment and say, God has been good to me. God has lifted me God has healed me God has delivered me and the same God that did it before will do it again you've got to have a relationship with the same God that delivered you out of the hand of the lion he'll deliver you out of the hand of the bear and he'll deliver you out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Saul said, wear my armor. David said, I don't need your armor. 
I've not proven your armor. He walks out there with no armor of Saul. Nothing but one smooth stone. Had five, only needed one. Walks out onto that battlefield and says to Goliath, who sees him coming? And says, am I a dog? Am I a dog that you would send out this child to fight with me? Do you not know who I am? Do you not understand who you're dealing with? You have insulted me. I will feed his carcass to the fowl of the air. He's going to be scraped up off of this battlefield. And David, without batting an eye, this young man with faith in God said, I don't come against you with a sword or with a spear. That's what you come against me with, a sword and a spear. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of the hosts of Israel. Now you've got to understand every soldier in that Israeli army was watching this thing unfold and they went from feeling like they were about to lose their life and lose their livelihood and lose their home and lose their wives and lose their children and lose everything they had. They were going to lose their national identity. They were going to be overtaken, downtrodden. They were going to be cast down. They were going to be dominated because the Philistines were going to rush them as soon as Goliath defeated their champion but out of nowhere this ruddy young man walks out onto the battlefield with squared shoulders and with the word of faith in his mouth and he said I'm not afraid of you I fought lions and God gave me victory I fought bears and God gave me victory and I'm not afraid of you to know Israel was standing there with bated breath wondering what was getting ready to happen and David just wound that stone up and let fly from a distance and there with expert marksmanship that stone lodged itself into the forehead of Goliath and he went down now And like David knew that's exactly what would happen, he walks up and unsheathes Goliath's sword and removes his head from his shoulders, takes his head to King Saul and said, there's your adversary. have mercy how many remember when Jesus did that for you how many remember when the devil had you up against the wall how many remember when the enemy had come in like a flood but the spirit of the Lord raised up a standard against the enemy many remember when nothing else would help love lifted me hallelujah hallelujah that's what Israel did I said that's what Israel did they worshiped the Lord. They rejoiced in God. They were thankful that God raised up a deliverer. 
they wrote songs about David. They said Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousand. Yeah, they wrote songs about David. Can you imagine the breath of fresh air, the relief in knowing that we have a champion? The relief in knowing that as long as David is alive, we have nothing to be afraid of. The relief in knowing that as long as David is around, everything is going to be all right. Uh Yeah, they wrote songs about him. David has slain his ten thousands because he was such a great warrior. He was such a mighty warrior, skilled and strong and capable. He was a breath of fresh air. They realized we've got something special in David. The Bible called him a man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. This this mighty man of Israel, this, this sweet psalmist of Israel, not only did they write songs about him, but he wrote songs. He strummed that harp and and he wrote songs about the Lord and about Israel. Listen to what he said concerning these people. Now listen, they had been pushed around for generations. One generation after another had been impoverished by adversaries. One generation after another had been shoved aside, pushed out of their homeland. Kicked out and left destitute. They were used to being in bondage. They were used to being in chains. They were used to being overtaken. They were used to being held captive. But David rose up and said, It's a new day in Israel. I said, It's a new day in Israel. We're Abraham's seed. We're the promised children of Abraham. Hallelujah, songs started flying to the tops of the charts that David would write under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost as the Holy Ghost moved on him. He wrote words that encouraged and inspired Israel. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth. They didn't even know they were the joy of the whole earth. They just thought they were whatever their enemy said they were. He said, no, it's the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. He would say things like some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Say, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Oh, yes, Lord. He would say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I'm going to say it again. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. It's one thing to bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's another thing to command everything that's inside of me to bless the Lord. I don't
don't know what you've got on the inside, but it better bless the Lord. I don't know if you've got a little grudge you're holding on to. That grudge better bless the Lord. I don't know if you've got a little hurt you're holding on to. That hurt better bless the Lord. I don't know if you've got a little doubt on the inside. Doubt, I command you to humble yourself and bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. You say, why do we need to bless the Lord? Well, let's count the reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Hallelujah. David just writing songs left and right. That parchment is on fire. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in my tabernacle forever. I will I will trust in the covert. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Hallelujah. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. Hallelujah. Yes. A man after God's own heart. A breath of fresh air. Relief in a weary land. An oasis in the desert of poverty to know that our enemies don't have victory over us because David is here. David had waged war with the Philistines. He had not just waged war with the Philistines, but David waged war with all sorts of different enemies. The Amorites and the Moabites and the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Philistines. And he fought them and he won. The great warrior David. And then we come to 2 Samuel 21. And it's a different day. It's a different hour. It's a different season of David's life. The Bible says that a battle had ensued again, yet again, with the Philistines. You'd think they'd be past the Philistines by now. They'd cut off. Goliath said they should have the victory, but they're still fighting the Philistines. They had waged war and won, but they're still fighting the Philistines. As long as you're in this natural body, you're going to have a fight with your flesh. And you're going to have to fight every time the battle rages. And David is older now. He's not the young man on the battlefield anymore. This isn't 1 Samuel 17. This is 2 Samuel 21. 
And David is older now. And he's fighting not Goliath. He's fighting descendants of Goliath and his brothers. Nephews and descendants of the giants of Gath. These giants of Gath had children. And, and, and their children were now warriors. And they were schooled from a youth. And they were like, they were so expert and cunning in their craft. And they were capable and competent and powerful and nuanced. And they, and they had in their sights, in their crosshairs, this Philistine slayer. Giant killer, David. David was the only thing that stood between the Philistines and all of Israel's wealth. Everything Israel had belonged to the Philistines except that David stood in the way. And as long as David stood as a bulwark, the Philistines couldn't get around him. He, he had the Philistines' number. He knew how to wield the sword. He knew how to sling the stone. He was a mighty man of valor. He was a valiant man. He was raising up young men. Young men were schooled under David. He had raised up mighty men. He had captains over hundreds and captains over thousands. And he had taught them in his own time how to war like he wore so that he wasn't the only warrior but that there were other warriors in the ranks of the Israelite army who knew how to fight giants but here David is he's been a king for a long time he's been through a lot of highs and a lot of lows and battle tested and scarred and wounded through life but here he is still fighting a good fight and the fight was raging and the fight now was with the Philistines and it was with a new generation of giants and he found himself in a corner of the battlefield, one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano, with a man by the name of Ishbibinab. And Ishbibinab was a son of a giant of Gath. Ishbibinab was a descendant of the towering demons of the Philistines. And he had been taught all his life that you have to kill David. And this is how you kill David. And there David is. He's much older now. His hair has grayed. His face is grizzled with, with wrinkles. And he's standing there with a sword in his hand. And he's ready to fight like he has always fought. He's ready to put this giant down. But the Bible says that Ishbibinab up unsheathed a new sword. It wasn't like the sword of Goliath. It was a different kind of sword. It was a new technology. It was a sword that David had never seen before. It was a new sword. And he pulled that new sword out and he began to wage one-on-one -on -one battle with David. And David fought. David fought like he knew how to fight. But he was older now. And his reflexes were slower. And his, his ability to respond was a little little less capable as it once was and he was moving but moving slower and he was fighting but his thrust wasn't quite as strong and all of a sudden at once David found himself in a compromised position Ishbibinab gained an advantage and the giant the, the son the descendant of the giants of Gath had David against the rocks and David is standing there he's about to die until Abishai turned the corner and when Abishai turned the corner, he saw something that he never dreamed he would see. He saw the sweet psalmist of Israel with a sword coming in his direction. He saw the man after God's own heart about ready 
to be killed. He saw this man, this David, this valiant man who as a youth slayed giants. But now he's not a youth. This isn't 1 Samuel 17. This isn't 2 Samuel 6. This is 2 Samuel 21. This isn't David dancing before the ark. This is David about ready to die. This isn't David being anointed as king of Judah. This is David about ready to die. This isn't David being led to Jerusalem and taking it. This is David about to die. It's a new chapter. It's a new day. And David isn't as physically capable of keeping up with the demands of the battle as he once was. And all in that moment, all of that flashed before Abishai's eyes. And without thinking twice, he leapt between Ishbibinab and David. And this young Abishai with reflexes that were quicker than David's. Young Abishai with an ability to wage war like David taught him how to wage war. But with reflexes to match the new sword of Ishbibinab. This new technology that David wasn't quite familiar with. But Abishai had been taught by David. David taught me how to fight giants. David taught me what to do in a moment like this. And Ishbibinab, if you think you're going to waltz over here and slay the sweet psalmist of Israel you've got another thing coming I know how to fight this good fight I know how to wage this war I know how to win this battle Abishai leapt to the attention let me tell you what he didn't do Bishop he didn't walk over to Ishbibinab say hey man listen you got to pardon the old man. He's old fashioned. You got to pardon the old man. He's old school. Why don't we make a league together? And you can have our money and you can have our homes and you can have our wives and our children and our jobs and you can have you can take our children captive just so we can have peace with one another. Would that be all right? That's not what he did. He said, no, we are the people of God. We are the people of the name. And our God commands us to worship him and only him. And we're not letting any adversary come and take captive our people. People or our land. I've come to preach to somebody. It's still worth fighting the good fight. I've come to preach to somebody. It's still worth waging the war. I've come to let somebody know. It's a new day and a new generation. But it's your time to fight the battle. Abishai slew Ishbibinab. He slew Ishbibinab the way David would have slown, slew Ishbibinab. And so Ishbibinab falls. And Abishai looks at David. said, you can't come out to battle with us anymore, O king. And he said, you want to know why? Because we cannot allow the light of Israel to be quenched. We cannot allow the light of Israel to be quenched. Bishop of the Lord has put on my heart in 2021 is that we cannot allow the light of Israel to be quenched. 
you're right we have been on a death march we've lost pastors we've lost saints we've lost bishops we've lost warriors of the cross but I've come to tell somebody it's time for Abishai to step up and into the battle and say I'll pray I'll fast I'll worship I'll witness I'll sing I'll preach I'll prophesy I'll go forth I'll do the work of the we can't let the light of Israel be quenched I said we can't let the light of Israel be quenched I'm telling you, you have something that the world doesn't have. And you can't let anything happen to it. I said you can't let anything happen to it. It's a light that shines in the darkness. Now we understand something. We know who the light is. We know who the light is. The light is Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. And then he looked at us and said, you are the light of the world. And he said, don't put a bushel over that light. You rip the bushel off and let your light so shine before men that they behold your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He gave us the measuring stick by how we should know whether or not we're letting the light shine. How do I know if I'm letting the light shine? He said, this is how. You let your light so shine that they behold your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's how you know if you're letting the light shine. Are they beholding your good works and glorifying your Father which is in heaven? Then you need to let it shine brighter. Try that tomorrow, and if it doesn't work tomorrow, shine brighter Tuesday. Shine brighter Wednesday. Shine. Shine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let your light so shine. Take the bushel off. Whatever that camouflage is that you have allowed to cover your walk with God, take it off. Whatever that blending in is that you're doing, you're trying to be like a world God called you out of. You're trying to act like a world that God called you out of. You're trying to, you're trying to live like a world that God called you out of. No, don't blend in with the darkness. Be the light. Be the light. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want you to know that we're different. We're different. We are different. Don't let people intimidate you out of being different. David was different. David had more money than any of us. 
And when they saw that ark coming down, he danced shamelessly before the Lord. He was educated. He had money. He had position. Don't give me any of that garbage. Pretending like that's the reason you can't worship God. Listen, I know there's a movement afoot that's trying to intimidate the church into calming down, tone down, stop being so excited about what the Lord has done for you because you won't get people to come who have money and who have education. That's a lie from the devil. I saw, I saw a clip on the internet at an Oklahoma Sooners game and they sang a song called Jump Around and, and thousands, 80,000 plus people were jam-packed into that stadium. Every one of them were alumni of the university. They were all educated. And they all had money. And they all jumped around. It's not worship they have a problem with. It's God they have a problem with. Because they don't mind worshiping certain gods. It's Jesus that they don't enjoy worshiping. The book of Psalms commands us to sing unto the Lord. The book of Psalms commands us to praise Him in the dance. The book of Psalms commands us to make a joyful noise. The book of Psalms commands us to shout unto God with the voice of triumph. The book of Psalms commands us to clap our hands. The book of Psalms commands us. Go ahead and praise Him. Jesus at Simon the leper's house and they prepared the dinner for Jesus at Simon the leper's house and there was all sorts of pomp and circumstances and protocol and there was so much formality and it was supposed to be just right because Jesus was in the house and Simon the leper was he was a, an honored man and he wanted it to be just so so and here came a lady busting up into the room she couldn't hold it back any longer she's weeping and staggering and stumbling messing up the program messing up the protocol and she falls at the feet of Jesus she falls at the feet of Jesus she begins to worship him she washed his feet she dried his feet with her hair she worshiped him Now, Simon did not want to appear as though he were not spiritual. So he didn't say anything about it. But in his mind, he was thinking, 
if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would never let her put on a show like this. This is disgraceful. This is ridiculous. This is just emotion. This is just hype. I can't wait till this little episode is over. Jesus knew his thoughts. And Simon said, Simon, let me ask you a question. He said, if, if there's a man, if there's a man who has, who has two uh, debtors and, and one has, owes him a lot of money and the other owes him a little bit of money and he forgives both of them to where neither one of them ever have to pay him back. He said, who do you think would be the most joyous of the two? And Simon said, well, I guess it'd be the one who had owed him a lot more money. And Jesus said, exactly. He that loveth much, it's because he has been forgiven much. And this woman who has fallen at my feet, she has fallen at my feet and put on such a display because I have forgiven her of so many things. So here's my question. Who in this room has been forgiven of so few things that you don't feel the need or desire to praise the Lord? Not me. I'm only here because God's been good. I'm only here because God has been merciful to me.
somebody will lose control in this place. Some of you are too religious. If you praise him, chains would break. giants roaming the land. I said there are giants roaming the land. And the David generation is slowly passing off the scene. It's time for Abishai to step in and to step up. And I want you to know there's power in your praise. There's liberty in your praise. Don't complain about the chains on you if you're not willing to give God the praise. I want somebody that's never danced before to dance right now. Somebody that's never left for joy before, leap for joy now. Pick them up and put them down. Pick them up and put them down. Pick them up, put them down. Come on, Abishai. Come on, Abishai. 